Good morning. Welcome to the morning service of Hamilton Square Baptist Church with great joy. We have met together to worship and exalt the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what a God we serve. Our God is the God who is enthroned above the vault of the earth. He's in charge of all of human affairs. And He loves us. We are His and He is ours. It's a great day to know God and to serve Him. Thank you for joining us today. We are looking forward to a time of worship and fellowship and instruction and praise. If you will, take your Bibles and Pastor Pelletier will lead us in our scripture lesson of the morning. It's going to be included a text that we'll be using in the message. So pay careful attention please as he reads. He's going to be reading, be reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and then he's going to look, take, go down to the last verse, verse 22, Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, please read along attentively. And, and notice the text as he reads it. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, then verse 22. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But... Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And then in verse 22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. May God bless the reading of his word. I hope that you have the outline for the message in front of you. It's always good to get profit as much as, you poss as we possibly can from the study of God's wonderful Word. We're talking on the subject of how do you live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. Not just a pagan age, but an aggressively pagan age. And uh, we are moving along. This is going to take a little more time. 
I've been studying on ahead on things I think that will be very helpful and very useful. So we'll just review what, where we have been on this. We have said that it is not possible to live and minister effectively in an aggressively pagan age without an unmovable foundation. And this must be based on a personal knowledge of God, not a knowledge about God, but a personal knowledge of God that includes a personal relationship with God. It must be founded upon the Word of God. The Word of God is key to the foundation of any Christian life. We really don't know who Jesus Christ is if we don't find the definition of his person and work in the Word of God itself. The only authentic source of information about our existence is the Word of God. And it is a truth to be proclaimed. It comes out of the created order which God has made. And we'll be talking about that in future messages along the line. God is the one who has created not only the mechanical universe, but the historical universe, which includes the plans and the purposes of God for this creation. Before God ever created the worlds, he had a plan and a purpose involving the individuals in human history, and you and I are on the list of those individuals. So God has a plan in human history. He is the one who sets rulers up, and he brings them down. He controls the destiny of nations, and that includes our own nation. God has also a plan for my personal life, and it is only as I have confidence in God that I can that I can reap the, the, the most benefit from the life that God has given me and the most blessing that God provides for me in all of this. Now, we are now talking uh, along another line. Uh, we are on the first page of the notes you have there, uh, the reason for the mess we are in, and we have been here, but this is where our start-off point today. The reason for the mess we are in is this. There are two mutually exclusive, totally incompatible kingdoms in this world. And uh, they are outlined in Second Corinthians. There's righteousness, there's lawlessness, there's light, there's darkness, there's Christ, there's the devil, there's belief, there's unbelief. There's the temple of God, there's idols, there's clean, there's unclean. There are two mutually exclusive, totally incompatible kingdoms in this world. And for the third time, and the third time is the essence of repetition and emphasis, I want to read again from Ben Heffernan's paragraph in his article in the Frontline magazine. The cause of chaos in America today stems from a malicious refusal to agree with God's definition of goodness. Many therefore call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness to their own hurt. These evil days remind believers of the value of truth and goodness. There is a fundamental distinction between that which hurts and that which heals between that which tears down and that which builds up, between that which destroys and that which blesses. This vital distinction undergirds the foundation of a much maligned doctrine, the doctrine of separation. At the heart of the doctrine of separation is the ability, now get this, to recognize evil, the courage to condemn it, the willingness to reject it. 
Now you see, this is where the conflict comes in, in the culture in which we live. How do you unify a culture where half are pagans, half are rooted in paganism, and half are rooted, whether they're Christians or not, in the essential biblical principles upon which the nation, our nation, was founded? How do you get unity there? Either one will prevail or the other will prevail, but both are mutually exclusive and totally incompatible. And so this is the heart of the difficulty we face. Again, let me repeat that sentence. At the heart of the doctrine of separation is the ability to recognize evil, the courage to condemn it, and the willingness to reject it. But if you do that, half of the pagans in our nation are on the outside. They don't want to be there. We don't want to be on the outside either. Nobody wants to be on the, everybody wants to be on the outside, but may I say the important thing is, hear me, is that we're on God's side. That's the important thing. All right? Believers must practice biblical separation because it honors the fundamental distinction between goodness and evil. Notice fundamental distinction between goodness and evil. Ignoring this doctrine makes one guilty of being an accomplice to evil and contributes to the deception that evil is good. So it is not possible. It is not possible to bring together good and evil uh, without destroying both. So you, you, have, you have a dilemma in which we live in our nation. So moving on then in the notes that you have, on page 2, uh, we said that under these conditions, unity or harmony is possible only if one of these kingdoms completely displaces or dominates over the other. And uh, so what we have is a political process where both are in conflict, one with the other, and the conflict is not ending. It is going to continue on, and may I suggest to you that since the devil is not going to give up, it is going to be quite a conflict. Number two, this sets the stage for perpetual conflict. Notice the word perpetual. For perpetual conflict everywhere the culmination of which we read in the book of Revelation. Then we said, and I need to, this is important that we review this, confusing these two kingdoms is catastrophic. We talk about identity and definition, substituting darkness for light, light for darkness, substituting bitter for sweet and sweeter for sweet for bitter. This has happened. There was a time when basic, the basic Judeo-Christian ethic prevailed in the USA. It was inherent in our Constitution. It was inherent in the initial legal system that was set up. And now we are substituting something else for it. Instead of protecting light, we are now protecting abortion. Our life, rather, we're protecting abortion. So this thing is moving. We are substituting darkness for light. And we are substituting bitter for sweet as we move along. Then there are, there's our relationship with them. He who justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous, both of them are alike an abomination to the Lord. What the laws that used to defend marriage now are opposed to biblical marriage. We have taken that which the laws which used to protect that which was right now are defending and protecting the rights 
of immorality in our country. So right. things are moved right over to the other side. This is what is happening in our nation. We are justifying the wicked, protecting the wicked in law, removing the protections from righteousness, placing them upon wickedness at the same time. And this is going on uh, in the name of progress. These are what these people call themselves progressive, but they're regressives. They're going right back to the Garden of Eden and delivering the whole thing over to the devil. This is exactly what is taking place in our day and, and time. Then we've got the part in our notes, we must honor the distinction between good and evil. The kingdom of darkness established itself on planet Earth through the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Again, may I, the conflict and all of the negative <coughs> sin and death and destruction that you see, it is not God's doings. It is the product of sin and evil and wickedness. It's the product of departure from God. Don't blame God for the choice that men make as they ally themselves with evil and with the program of Satan in this world. It's not good and it's not right. We started out in the book of Genesis as a result of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Their first son was a murderer. He was a man killer, if you please. Cain was devoted to evil. Violence began with Cain who murdered his brother and it was over the fact that he was insulted. He thought his sacrifice was as good as Abel's. He, he thought that man had a right to determine uh, what God should do with his sacrifice. That's exactly what's going on with the progressives. They believe that there is no God who can determine anything, no God outside of ourselves. We are our own gods and, and, and if we want to do something and we think it's as good as it, we determine what's good. Nobody outside of us determines good. We determine what's evil. We are gods to ourselves. That is the, that is the progressive approach. That was Cain's approach. And he killed his brother. Murder was the result. And Lamech, his grandson, was devoted to evil. He was a violent, murderous man. And so this thing went on down. Two lines. There was the line, the righteous line through, through Seth. And there was an evil line through Cain that developed all through the progression of the genealogies up through the coming of the time and the day of Noah. Now, we've come to Noah now, and we, you and I think that, that we, we're having difficult days. We look about us in our country and we say, what's happening to our nation? What is happening to our city in San Francisco? What is happening to the Bay Area? What's happening to California? Well, the same thing that happens when sin takes over. That's exactly, that's exactly what is happening. Now, it is amazing that, that within the generations in, in Genesis chapter 2, or I'm sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 3, within those generations, um, uh, the world became very, very wicked. In fact, it came, became predominantly wicked. Now, so we have to ask ourselves the question, is there any time in Scripture, is there any time in Scripture where all the kingdoms of the world followed God? Never. Never. Is there any time in Scripture where righteous people had an easy time? Only when God's kingdom prevailed in in the some of the, some of the history of Israel but other than that never an easy time you get to the new testament church the new testament church was was birthed out of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
And initially with the coming of the Spirit of God uh, in the baptizing act of, of the church in Acts chapter 2, uh, the thing started out with, with, with a great powerful impact initially and spread initially far and wide, but it wasn't long until the saints were being martyred and the church was being persecuted. Persecution, hear me now, historically, persecution is the norm for the Bible-believing church. Not the persecution of religion, the Bible-believing Christian church. Persecution is the norm through history. Now, Noah was an amazing man. Men, became, men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And in verse number 4 of Genesis 6, there were giants. The New American Standard takes the Hebrew word Nephilim, which means tyrants or men of violence. There were tyrants and men of violence on the earth in those days. Also afterward, uh, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that's the, the, that is the godly came into the ungodly, they bore children to them, there was a mixture, there was a breakdown of separation in, in that culture in that day. And out of that came mighty men of old, men of renown. But all of them except Noah were on the wrong side. Now you cannot measure the rightness by the numbers. You can't, you can't measure what's right and wrong by the numbers. This thing is not a majority vote. <coughs> God isn't in heaven by majority rule. Nobody's going to vote him out of office. God is right. Always. 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 God is righteous. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy. That speaks of God's absolute infinite integrity. God is always right. And when we see in verse number 5, God saw, Yahweh saw, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Man didn't regard himself as wicked. It is, it is very interesting to, to think about this culture. Now, we have this picture in our minds of a backward, crude, Stone Age civilization. There may have been between two and five million people at least on the earth in, the, in, the, in those days. And it was a much more advanced civilization than you and I think of. Now, if you, if you read the dimensions of the ark, the ability to build a boat that size. Now, we had 120 years to do it. But the ability to build that boat means that they had to have capacity for engineering skills, metallurgy, Wordworking, the, the kinds of skills that, that were demanded in building a boat that would not only float on the water, but would survive, would survive the gushing of the waters. It wasn't only rain from heaven. The, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. The crust of the earth was convulsing. And, and to survive all of that, this boat had to be engineered for stormy weather. And I mean bad storms. It had to survive all of this. That boat means that there were advanced skills of building and engineering in place. This was not a Stone Age culture. This was a, a culture in which they were proud. I was just reading in Matthew 24 about the second coming of Christ, which is at the end of the tribulation. But it says the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. 
For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. They did not know. So will the coming of the Son son, and Son of Man be. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And absolutely amazing how this man survived. There must have been an absolute supernatural protection of this man because his ways were totally contrary to his culture. You talk about political correctness. Noah had none of it. The wickedness of man was great on the earth. That was God's assessment. Now, our, the, the average person in San Francisco would not assess San Francisco as a wicked, uh, very wicked city. The wicked in San Francisco are proud of our city with all of its wickedness. And they embrace the wickedness as part of the culture. And they're proud of the culture. We fly rainbow flags. We fly, we celebrate, we have days and parades celebrating the wickedness. But it says God saw, Yahweh saw, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And he goes on to describe this. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God. And the earth was filled with violence. I don't know if they had their Antifa in those days. They must have had. The earth was filled with violence. And you and I, we look at what's happening in our culture. And it distresses us. But the culture seems very happy and satisfied with what's going on. Verse 12, God looked on the earth. In verse 5, God saw. Verse 12, God looked. He's now observing, making observation. And behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. What we do is we take the creation of God. Now hear me. Hear me. The great crime of America is we've taken the creation and the blessings of God and we have prostituted them for our own personal selfish purposes. The Lord's day is not the Lord's day. It's our day for shopping, for eating, for sports. We have prostituted the, the Lord's day. That's a great offense to God if God has no place. We've shut God out and we've said, we are the focal point of creation. And God says, you need to take a day off and you need to understand that I am the focal point of all creation. I'm the reason for your existence. I'm your creator. I'm your redeemer. That's what the Lord's day is about. And we've prostituted uh, what we call sex. We've prostituted for all, for, for many kinds of purposes that are totally outside of God's created purpose for it. And we've prostituted it for personal reasons of doing personal things and creating relationships that biblically should not exist. So, God looked on the earth. It was corrupted. What was good had been had been moved around and changed. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Now what do you do when you are in a total minority? What do you do? 
Many Christians go into the closet. We ought not to be in the closet. We ought to be active in ministry, wisely engaged in witnessing and in ministry. Now, Noah's response can instruct us. Let's, let's look at the title of the message again. How to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. What did Noah do? What did Noah do? How did he respond to this? Number one, instead of following the morals of his day, instead of following the practices of his culture, his life was characterized by personal holiness or integrity. Amazing, amazing what is said about this man in the middle of this culture. And I want to challenge you as a Christian. Don't let the culture mold you. You let God mold you in the culture as a witness to who and what God is. So many Christians, they pick up the music, they pick up the morals, they pick up the dress standards, they pick up the the, the standards of, of the culture and, and they reflect the culture in which they live rather than the integrity and the purposes and the plan and the will of God for their personal life. This is a real challenge. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Number one, Noah was a righteous man. He was on the right side of every issue. He would not allow himself to be on the wrong side of the issue. You may say this is a choice. This is a choice we all make. We all make it. We can, for whatever reason, for whatever excuse, from whatever process of reasoning, we can decide. We can decide that we are going to go along. We are going to be molded by the culture. And of course, Paul Paul warns us about this in in First Corinthians. I'm sorry, in Romans chapter twelve. Do not allow yourself to be poured into the mold of this world. The world will pressure you. It will mold you. It, it will say, think like this, look like this, act like this. Uh, and they will pour you into their mold. So Noah was a righteous man. Secondly, he was blameless. Now notice the next expression, in his time. It's one thing to be blameless when you're in the middle of a Christian family. It's another thing to be blameless in a world that is pressuring you into its mold. Those are two totally different things. He was a blameless man in his time. King James says, in his generations. This has to do with his culture. In his culture, he was blameless. Number three, this is a precious thought. In the middle of all of this, Noah walked with God. I love the book of 1 John. The, the, one of the prominent words, and I think it occurs, uh, I think it occurs around 30 times. Anyway, the word fellowship is one of the key words in the book of 1 John, the word fellowship. And the word fellowship denotes a partnership, a personal, a personal one-on-one -on -one partnership with God. Noah decided instead of becoming like the pagan age in which he lived, he decided he was going to go into a partnership with God. He was going to take his life and instead of and instead of conforms for his own benefit so he could get out from underneath, think of the pressure. One man against everybody. Literally. 
instead of conforming, he was going to have a partnership with God. He sensed, and you won't, you know, you're going to conform to the world, to, to, to the world in which you live if you don't sense that God has a very special purpose for your life in this world. Noah, and I, I don't know how God called Noah. We, we have a record of what happened in regards to the ark and the culture. Build this ark and the flood is going to... We've got a record of that. But Noah, somewhere along the line, determined that he was going to have a personal partnership with God, that his life belonged to God 100%. And that whatever God wanted to do with his life, he was available this is very personal. Are you available for whatever God wants to do with your personal life? Are you willing to live in a personal one-on-one -on -one partnership with God? Because you are not here by accident. God didn't put you here to survive the pagan age in which you live. God put you here for personal identity, personal ministry. God has personal purpose and calling for every life of every believer. And nothing would have happened that Noah did with the ark. Nothing would have happened if Noah had not established a personal partnership, a personal fellowship, a personal life business relationship with God. He put his life into business for God. He literally said, I am in, I am in business for God and nothing else matters. What God wants with my life, that is the motivation of my life, that's the direction of my life, that's the plan of my life, that's the purpose of my life, because I am a special person. He had no earthly idea up front that there was going to be a flood. All he knew that he was, was that he had a choice. Either he was going to walk with the pagans of the age and the culture in which he lived, or he was going to walk with God. And that's a choice we make as believers. We are not here to spend just the years of our life just eating and drinking and doing the things that everybody else does. We are here for special divine purpose. Every believer without exception. That's why Noah and his family got on that ark. That's why civilization was saved. God chose Noah because Noah, hear me, God chose Noah because Noah chose God. How can God use you greatly in your life if you do not choose a partnership with God, with your whole life, with your substance, with your abilities, regardless of where it takes you? Unconditional, if you please. So, number three, Noah walked with God. So he was a right man, a righteous man, blameless in his time and his generations, blameless in his culture. He walked with God. And then last of all, he did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. So he did. What a man. All of us are indebted to him. We would not be here if he had not made those Choices. Now, I have said numbers of times that to know God is to love God. And that is absolutely true. 
You cannot know God and not love God. And to love God is to serve God because the, the ex manifestation of love is ministry. Love gives and love serves. Love does those two things. The copy love does. So, to know God is to love God, and to love God is to serve God. And then I've told you there's another way we go this. To, to, to know God is to trust God. <laughs> if you know God, you trust God. And if you trust God, you obey God. But if you don't trust God, you don't obey God. Because the consequences sometimes for obeying God are enormous. Enormous. You lose out sometimes. You lose out. You get alienated from friends. You get alienated from the culture in which you live. You lose a job. There are all kinds of negative consequences to obeying God. And if you don't trust God, you don't obey God. But in Noah's case, he obeyed God. And his trust in God must have been enormous. Who would be a man building a boat in the middle of nowhere because God had told him a flood was coming and the, 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 those of the world of science who are believers uh, tell us that there may not have been rain on the earth before the flood. Obviously, he didn't build it in the middle of a lake. So... Noah is here in the middle of his culture preaching righteousness, preaching judgment, living totally cross-current with the culture. One man, now listen, one man, one man and his family. That's all. How do you do that? How do you do that? And the writer of Hebrews tells us a little bit about this. By faith... <clears throat> Noah being warned of God by the things not yet seen. Uh, that's where we get the clue that it had not rained. Uh, where is this water going to come from? Now, we, we, we read that the fountains of the great deep were broken. There were vast underground re reservoirs of water that came, came over the surface and the surface of the earth collapsed. The water came out from beneath and it rained from the heavens above. But... He was warned by God about things not yet seen. In reverence, he prepared an ark. This is an interesting text from the Greek language standpoint. The, the, the idea of warning is a term used in commerce. It means to consult, deliberate, have business dealings, transact business. It means to hold a conference or advised. So God didn't just briefly give one sentence now. The word of God is true. God warned Noah. He did. But, but evidently God, God had some detailed consultations with Noah. Noah knew more than just what you have recorded in the book of Genesis. Uh, that is all just the outline, broad outline uh, of Noah's walk with God through this business of building the ark. He was warned about things not yet seen. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it. Now, Noah was not a man lacking in intelligence. First of all, 
you and I are Christians and God says, I have a great plan for your life and I want you to prepare for this kind of ministry. And we, like Moses, say, God, you got the right man. You got the wrong man. You got the wrong woman. You are to build this huge boat. And it was huge. It was a ship. <clears throat> Noah was not trained in shipbuilding. They did not have a university of shipbuilding. He didn't have a computer. I don't think he had a computer. I think he had more advanced mathematics than we'll give them credit for. Much more advanced than we give them, than we give them credit for because I believe there was engineering involved in, in putting that ark together. But Noah has the challenge, I'm going to destroy the earth and you are the guy and you are going to build the ark and you are going to save civilization. Who is equal to that task? Nobody. Nobody. Noah had a lot of hard choices to make. I'm talking to some believers today and God wants you to do something and you know you can't do it and so you're not willing to do it. But wow, God never calls you to do something that he won't put together and enable you to do. When God called me to preach, I said, God, I can't do it. So I'll do it on one condition, that you are going to help me and make it possible because I can't do this thing. And it doesn't matter what it is that God wants you to do, whether it's in your business, in your home, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your church. It doesn't matter. Everything that God, every purpose that God has for your life, now hear me, there isn't one purpose God has for your life that's not too big for you. It doesn't exist. Every calling of God is beyond the capacities of man. And it is those who say yes to the calling of God that learn the greatness of God because they find out what God does to make it possible. Because we all know, we who are involved in God's work, we all know that with man these things are not possible. We're going to pull this thing out of the COVID days and we want to have a vibrant church. That is not possible with man. Putting our church back together on site is not possible. And if we try to do it, we'll make a mess of it. But there is a God in heaven, and with his calling always are his enablements. You think of the vast impossibility of the call of God on Noah's life. It's not only the moral impossible. He, he, he's the only one in the whole world. You think you're right and everybody else is wrong. No, I'm not right. God is right. And anybody that's not in tune with God is wrong. And it doesn't matter whether it's a minority or majority. It doesn't matter how many or who. God is always right. So you have Noah here. His response to this thing in reverence, he prepared an ark. That word reverence means to give careful heed, be cautious, beware, be moved with reverent regard. That was his response to the call of God. He said, all right, God, you're too big and I'm too small. I, I, God, I can't refuse what you want because of who you are, because of who and what you are. You see, to know God is to trust God. And to trust God is to obey God. All right, God, if this is what you want with my life, because of who you are and what you are, because 
I regard you with awe and reverence and wonder. What you say to me, I must do. I can't do anything except say yes because of who is making the request. Everything you say, I will do. He was moved with reverent regard because of who and what God was. See, had he not had a life partnership with God, his response would have been totally different. Totally different. Totally different. So we read, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Thus Noah did, according to all that commanded him. So, so we have. So we have Noah responding positively, positively to the command of God. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now listen, Christians. It is not our place... Now, now listen, listen very carefully, please. It is not our place to just because we don't like what we see happening around us. And if wickedness is happening, it ought to upset a believer. But it is not our business just because we don't like it. To turn to God and to say, God, you've got to change all of this. God did not put us on the earth to have the good life. And we're going to find that in the next Lord's Day. I'm going to continue on with this message. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. God doesn't win in the sense we want him to until the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's when it happens. So if you have a desire for righteousness to prevail, then your prayer has to be, even so come Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. See, that's the, it's the coming of the Lord Jesus. And, and you see, the saints, in, in my observation, I hear very few Christians looking for the coming of the Lord, longing for the coming of the Lord Jesus. I find many, very, very few new songs that are being written, and we have good Christian music coming off the presses, good quality Christian music, both in doctrine and, and in the style of the music. But I, I see almost none of this talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Been a long time since I've seen a new song that says that. You see, we're putting our hopes in science. We're putting our hopes in politicians. And I want to promise you, if we think politics are going to clean this mess up, uh, we are going to be sorely disappointed. If we think science is going to get rid of all of of, of all of the consequences of sin, we we're, we're going to be sorely disappointed. God didn't send science to save the world. God sent his son Jesus Christ to save the world. God didn't send politicians to save the world. He sent his son Jesus Christ to save the world. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the answer. It is the answer. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be propagated 
until men and women will devote their lives to it. And men and women will not devote their lives to the propagation of the gospel until, until they have made a life partnership agreement with God, until they've personally gone into business with God. And that business is defined as the purpose and the plans for which God created them in the first place. Every life has divine plan and divine purpose. I want to challenge you as a believer today. Get into a life partnership with God. You go into business with God and, 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 you, and you take all of your life and all of your resources. They're a part of the deal. Take my life, let it be consecrated. Lord, do they take my silver and my gold, not a mite what I withhold. Take my voice, take my hands, take my love, take it all. Take it all. Take it all. That, that, that is the answer. Now listen, you and I are living in an aggressively pagan age and the difficulty we face is that the pagans are more committed to their paganism than believers are committed to the gospel. That's the challenge to believers today. Are you just as committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ as these aggressive evangelistic pagans in the country in which we live? The reason that the pagans win is because the Christians, <laughs> the Christians are not nearly as dedicated for the most part. We have a lot of dedicated Christians. Thank God for them. But so many are sitting on the sidelines and watching. And they're trying to wait and see which side wins to know where they're going to go because they're in the business of being on the winning side. Well, I want to promise you that God is not a loser. And those who are on God's side are on the winning side. We've read the last chapter. We know how it all comes out. It all comes out to the glory of God. Jesus Christ presiding over an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. May the Lord... Stir us in our hearts. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, oh, may the Spirit of God touch your heart today. Get over on God's side. That's repentance. Our sins are wrong and God is right. We get over on God's side. We cry out to the Lord Jesus to save us by His marvelous grace. Lord Jesus, save me today from my sin. I receive you into my heart and life to become Savior and Lord of my life. You invite Him to do that and you will never, never be the same. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. I would pray that many believers within this very moment, within this very moment, establish a life partnership with you, go into business with you, take their whole life, take their whole life and take their whole world, gather it up and place it at your feet. In the ministry to which God has called them, everyone is called to ministry of one kind or another, in one place or another. And God, I pray that men and women who need Christ will cry out to him today wonderfully, find a tremendous saving grace by receiving him as their Savior and Lord in this very day, this very moment, in this very hour. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing the hymn that we've been singing, and we'll close the service, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints.
of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Do you have this firm foundation in your life?